episode 14 of the second season of Grace Touch. Today I've decided to do something unusual, which is to record this episode outdoors. So I'm sitting in front of a cafe on a busy street in North London uh, to illustrate several things, the most important one being the level of noise in our postmodern world, but also how distracting it can be to try to focus on God with the noise and hyperactivity of this world. So this is your host Coco again and I'd like us to continue on the journey of preparation for Rosh Hashanah. Um, two weeks ago we looked at Elul which is a reference to I am my beloved and my beloved is mine, Song of Songs chapter 6 verse 3. We looked at what it means when it is said that the king is in the field in terms of God being in the midst of his people and us drawing close to him. We know that as Christians, the veil has been torn once and for all by Jesus' perfect sacrifice at the cross, which means we always, always have access to him. We have access to the Holy of Holies. We have access to the throne of God. We have access to the very presence of God. As the Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the temple of Holy Spirit. Then last week we looked at Selichot penitentiary prayers and the value of drawing close to God and of opening our hearts for Holy Spirit to examine it and show us everything we need to leave aside, where we need to repent of, etc. etc. Uh, we talked about perfect scapegoat. So in the last two weeks we've talked about really essential truths um, that help us understand who we are in Christ. This week I'd like us to look at vows. So annulling vows, what a vow means, uh, and the fact that God is this loving husband who wants to renew his wedding vows with his estranged bride, which is basically what's happening between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, the ecclesia, his bride, but also on a personal level, how he wants uh, to renew his vows with us, how he wants to embrace us again in his arms, where we may have uh, gone astray somewhat. Now, this is drawing from the tradition of Hatarat Nedarim, which is a Jewish tradition carried out the morning before Rosh Hashanah, which consists in annulling vows made with one's thought to God, intentionally made or unintentionally, unintentionally made vows. First of all, let's look at what a vow is. What is a vow? If you look at dictionary.com, it says, a vow is a solemn promise, a pledge, a personal commitment, we all know about marriage vows or vows of secrecy. A vow is basically a solemn promise made to a deity or a saint, committing oneself to an act, service or condition, a solemn or earnest declaration. And a vow in the Bible, uh, frequently in the Bible, there is this practice of making vows or solemn promises to God deliberately and freely uh, to perform some good work. And it was something that uh, um, Israelites did a lot in the Bible. So there are some amazing things that the Bible says about vows. Um, let's read that and how that works. Vows are not to be made lightly. 
if you read the Bible, you see that vows are not to be made lightly. It is actually better not to make vows <laughs> than to make them lightly. And that the Bible says that when we make a vow, we should keep it promptly. Okay? So let's look at uh, some key Bible verses. We all know, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. So it's important to God that what we say, we stick with it, often to our own pain. So looking at what the Bible says about vows, these are quite sobering verses uh, that actually make me think about what I've said over the years. Let's look at a few uh, Bible verses about vows in the English Standard Version. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23:21 says, If you can make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says, It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Deuteronomy 23, 23, You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Matthew 5.33, again you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 to 6, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before a messenger that it was a mistake. Ecclesiastes 5.2 Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Etc, etc. You get the, the drift. I, I would say of all of these that I've read, the, most, the, one, the one I want to hold on the most is it is better than you should not vow than that you should vow or pay. This is really an encouragement to think carefully before we make a promise because God actually listens to what we say and takes our words seriously. So, what is this tradition of Hatarat Nedarim? Let's take a look at that. Um, part of the preparation of Rosh Hashanah, as I said earlier, is uh, this tradition of Hatarat Nedarim. The annulling of personal vows. So on the morning of Rosh Hashanah, some people choose to perform a ritual of introspection and spiritual mediation called Hatarat Nedarim, the annulling of vows. The ritual covers only vows made to themselves or to God, not vows made to another person. In Hatarat Nedarim, an individual asks to be released from vows that may have been said in a heated moment, but were not truly of the heart, and from casual statements that may have been worded as vows, but were not intended as such. This ritual is part of Judaism's system for giving people second chances, but of course not every vow can or will be annulled. In this case, a person who wishes to be released from vows finds three other people who also wish to be released from vows. One of those people makes a declaration in the presence of the three others who serve as a Beit Din, which is a house of judgment, a legal court according to Jewish law. After the first person is absolved of these vows by the others, another takes a turn asking for absolution while the remaining three serve as the Beit Din and so on with the group. Whether or not one uses a traditional formula found in some prayer group books, it is important to practice Hatarat Nedarim with people who can be open and honest as well as thoughtful in the responses. And this is uh, taken from um, uh, a website called My Jewish Learning and uh, this little text on Hatarat Nedarim 
has been reprinted from celebrating the Jewish New Year, uh, which is a document published by the Jewish Publication Society. So how is this relevant to us? God is like a loving husband who wants to renew his wedding vows with his estranged wife. This is really interesting. This is really interesting to stay in this a state of mind where we are collectively the bride of Christ and he is our bridegroom, the ecclesia, what is commonly called the church, the body. God is like a loving husband who wants to renew his wedding vows with his estranged wife. There's nothing better than to look at Hosea uh, to understand this. Which, uh, so Hosea's uh, marriage to his wife, uh, who was a prostitute, God told him to marry, is a very, very interesting one. We've talked about that in our past episodes. Let's look at what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. Okay? But back to Hosea. What does Hosea chapter 14 verses 2 to 10 say? In the New Living Translation. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. The Lord says, verse 4, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. Just in case you're following this in your Bibles, it says that verses uh, 1 to 9 are numbered 2 to 10 in the Hebrew text. So if you, if you notice the discrepancy in your Bible, that's normal. So this Hosea passage is about repentance, returning to God. In the, the first four uh, verses, it talks about forgiveness of sins, it's talk, verse 2, it says, Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. So vows are spoken through the mouth. The same goes for confessions. All these things that we have said that bind us. Uh, verse 3 says, Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. So I'm guessing the people of Israel had put their trust in Assyria and or in their war horses. They vowed allegiance to these things or this nation. And still in verse 3, it says, Never again will we say to the idols we have made, You are our gods. So the words that proceed out of the mouth are obviously very important, which is why this practice of uh, at least once a year, having the, the flexibility to come before God and renouncing those vows that we took lightly is very important. So how does this relate to us uh, nowadays? How does this relate to the preparation for Rosh Hashanah? Uh, in terms of 
reflecting on the vows we've made, the things we've spoken out of our mouths, out of bounds, and the need that we may have to come to the Lord and be released from those vows that are unrighteous vows, that are limiting vows, that are restricting vows over our lives. And what I read about Hosea, and when I said God is like this loving husband who wants to renew his wedding vows with his estranged wife. Well, let's turn properly to the story of Hosea. So for those of you who already know it, it will be a reminder and see how we can draw from this to prepare ourselves properly for Rosh Hashanah, for this new start. Now, the story of Hosea is very interesting. Um, it's one of the strangest stories uh, in the Bible uh, about, about things that God has asked prophets to do. It's a story of a marriage. So the prophet Hosea was asked by God to marry a woman called Gomer. And Gomer happened to be a prostitute. She, he was deeply in love with her, okay? Because he's very, how do we know that? Because he's very eloquent about love. Uh, however, Gomer, his wife, was faithless. Time and time again, she left home, uh, returning to her lovers. Um, she was serially unfaithful and was eventually forced to sell herself into slavery, even though she had a husband who really wanted to take care of her and who really loved her. Hosea, of course, was not happy about this. He was caught between anger and a tender longing, and he found that he could not relinquish his love for her. And uh, God leads Hosea to understand that his own personal experience mirrors the experience between God and the Israelites, which is an image of Christ and the bride, Christ and his church. Uh, God has rescued Israel time and time again from slavery, led them through the wilderness, brought them to their new home, the land of Israel, but they proved faithless. They worshiped other gods. They were promiscuous in their spiritual attachments. So God had a perfect right to abandon them. Uh, he should have called them, as the prophet called his third child, which is the name God gave him, Lo Ami, which means you are not my people. Yet God's love is inextinguishable. He cannot let go of his people. Whatever the people sins, as it says in Hosea, God will bring them back into the desert, the scene of their first love, and their marriage will be renewed. Now, there's this, um, this account, which is in the Talmud, in Pesachim. Uh, it is an account of a dialogue between God and Hosea, which is basically an unwritten story. We don't have it in, um, in our Bible. It would be like a prequel, <laughs> you know, an episode that precedes chapter 1 of the book of Hosea. Um, the reference to all of this, of course, is Chabad.org. So I'm reading this, uh, this dialogue which we don't, know whether, uh, we don't know whether it's true or not, but I find it really, really interesting. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Hosea, your children have sinned. To this the prophet should have replied, they are your children, the children of your favored ones, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Be merciful to them. Not only did he not say this, but he actually said, Lord of the universe, the whole world is yours. Exchange them for another nation. The Holy One, blessed be he, said, what shall I do with this old man? I will tell him to go and marry a prostitute and have children by her. Then I will set, tell him to send her away. If he can, then I too will send Israel away. This is really interesting. Again, I don't know whether this prequel is actual, actually a dialogue that happened between God and Hosea or not, but either way, it is a beautiful illustration. So of God coming to Hosea and saying, um, my people are unfaithful, Hosea is saying, go and find yourself another set of people, God saying, okay, go and marry a prostitute, and if you're able to dump her, then I will dump my people too, you know. Prophets are known to be uh, quote-unquote critics. They, uh, God, when God shows them the ways in which the nations have, 
have uh, uh, failed, the nations have sinned, their, their job is to come and speak the people's thoughts aloud, bring a corrective message, often one foretelling disaster. You read the Old Testament, you'll see that over and over again. But actually, this is a view that's limited and superficial and misses the essential point. God's judgment is always laced and infused with his mercy. The prophets loved their people. God had put his love and compassion for his people in their hearts. They spoke not out of condemnation, but from the depths of deep desire. They knew that Israel was capable of and had to be summoned to greater things. They never criticized or brought this correction in order to distance themselves, to set themselves as prophets above and apart. They were very much part of the Israel, uh, the, the Israel, Israel nation, the Israelite nation. They spoke in love. They spoke out of God's love, which is why the prophets always bring a message of hope. If we look at the Bible, the Bible, the Old Testament, we'll see that every time a prophet brings a corrective message, he's always, uh, he always follows that with, "But if you repent, but if you turn back to God, but if you do this, but if you do that, God will redeem, God will heal, etc." The hand that that corrects is also the hand that heals. In, the, in, the, in the, 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 the story of Hosea, there's a point where God says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. There's an intimacy that comes out of being convicted of sin, coming out of that place of sin, rediscovering God. There's an intimacy there, uh, a change in their relationships. A change in the relationship between God and his people, between Jesus and the bride. And I think all of this is what we can draw as we prepare uh, for Rosh Hashanah to come into this relationship between God and his people, between us individually with Christ and the, uh, more, more, more generally the bride, the church, the ecclesia, with the bridegroom. To come into uh, the, these first words, uh, the first man uh, released out of his mouth when he saw the woman God had created for him. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken out of man, Ish. This is, this is really deep, and uh, I just pray the Holy Spirit will reveal to us intimately, to each one of us individually, how deep, how special, how intimate the relationship uh, is that God wants to have with us. And in the lead up to Rosh Hashanah, we'll be able to draw close to God to the point where we discover this intimacy, to the point where we call on Him to ask Him to reveal to us secrets, those secrets that He so desperately wants to reveal to us, um, as spoken by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 33, verse 3. This is an invitation to call upon God and to say, Hey, Father, I want to draw near to you today. Father, I want to discover your heart today. What is it that you're saying? What is your priority today? What is the burden that you have on your heart? Share it with me. I want to be your friend. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that formidable? Isn't that humbling as well that the creator of the universe, the Holy One, would want to be friends with us, would want to be intimate with us? As we get ready for a new start in the next two weeks, let us meditate on this. Draw near to God as it draws near to us. So returning to what I started with, what are these vows that we might need to annul? Let me give you a bit of a more specific uh, description of what vows consist in. And um, let's finish with a prayer. Vows are statements spoken by us or even our forebears over ourselves that affect our lives and of course our whole bloodline until someone detects them and breaks them. They often contain words like never or always. Vows lead us to search for a means of comfort and when the means of comfort becomes habitual, we create a false refuge and provide the opportunity potentially for an idol to take up residence in our lives. And some of us Christians love to declare and decree blessings for ourselves and others and that is very powerful. 
provided we are not declaring and decreeing things in contradiction with vows that we have repeatedly reinforced in our lives. It would be like applying a band-aid to eczema. I've spoken about this before in past episodes. Vows are legal, and until we break them, we are complicit with them, whether or not we are willingly entered into those agreements, which is why when I read the extract of how in Jewish tradition the, the loosing of pe- people from vows happened, it required three people, it, was a, it had to be, those three people were constituted as a bait din, as a legal unit. Vows are legal, so to be broken, they have to be broken legally. Some of the big vows are generational. They create in us unexamined and unsubstantiated beliefs that foster isms. For example, sexism, racism, elitism, ethnic hatred, instinctive political bias, etc., etc. Some of those vows are extremely powerful, overarching ones, that supersede every other declaration we can make over ourselves. Things like, my family is never wrong, which will result in an inability to truly admit to ourselves and others that we're wrong because of the idol of I, the ego, the self, which will not allow true repentance. Another one can be, my family is everything, which looks good on the surface, but which can actually lead people, including believers, to do just about anything to protect family members. This is sobering and chilling. We need God's revelation here. So an easy way of identifying whether we find ourselves under vows as if you sense that you have a specific God-designed calling and that you're struggling to come into it, that you've ex- experienced relentless, fierce opposition every time you try to do so, come to God and ask Him what is going on. Whether you or someone else in your bloodline has spoken something, made a vow, or, or, or even worse, a covenant, and what it is. So, there are a few objections that Christians often come up with when we talk about these things. One is, to those amongst us who are thinking Jesus' sacrifice is all sufficient, complete, and perfect, he conquered all on the cross. That is absolutely true. We cannot add or remove anything from his sacrifice. We cannot perform our way into freedom. But this is about obedience to God. He wants us to have no idols or false refuges, but to worship, trust, obey him and him alone, to be fully committed to our covenantal relationship with him, which is why one of the Bible verses I read before talks about putting one's trust in Assyria on or in one's war horses. If we read the word in James chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, the New Living Translation says, But when you ask him, this is God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Those are harsh words, sobering words. Divided loyalty, faith in God alone. Other versions of that passage call it doubting. In order to receive, James recommends we wholeheartedly believe. To this I will add that we can always cry out, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, which is from uh, the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Secondly, to those who like reading and meditating on quoting or praying over themselves from Psalm 91, please read that again and come to the realization that the very first verses are conditional. The Berean Study Bible version puts it this way. Verses 1 and 2 of uh, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. This is about dwelling and abiding. There's nothing fleeting or shaking here. Yeah? I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Then verses 3 to 8 lay out the promises and blessings that are yours, ours, as a result of dwelling, abiding, and trusting. Then verse 9 says, If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, 
Then the promises start again from verses 10 to 13. Then verse 14 says, with the promises, Because he loves me, I will deliver him. Because he knows my name, I will protect him. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The New Living Translation of verses 14 to 16 of Psalm 91 starts with, The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. It seems the word of God links loving God with trusting him and trusting him with receiving an answer to prayer. Final point. Remember Gideon, the mighty warrior Gideon? Before he could uh, help set Israel free from Midian, he first had to chop down and destroy the idols of his family. His story is in the book of Judges. So if you've made any vows, you frequently declare or infrequently declare always or never statements over yourself. Can't statements, won't statements such as, I will never be successful, I'm not an intellectual, I'm not creative, I'll never be good at maths, languages, business, I have difficult relationships with people, I can't make friends, I'm always the odd one out, the one that stands out like a sore thumb. Any self-deprecating statements, even those you laugh about, I will never be good enough, women can't be trusted, Men can't be trusted. People will always rip you off. God always answers other people's prayers. Never mind. I pray that you'll be set free from this. In the name of Jesus. Come to the Lord. Engage with Holy Spirit. And see what it brings to mind. And you, then you can repent of those things. And be set free. So let's finish with thanksgiving and a prayer to God. Father God, thank you for everything you teach us day in, day out, through your Holy Spirit. In your mercy and compassion, help us to identify the vows and false refugees we've come under. Holy Spirit, reveal to us even old and dormant ones, and lead us to repent and show us the practical steps we have to take to be set free. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, people. Reach out to me to give me feedback on your... Uh, impression on a noisy episode and what this noise in the background uh, <laughs> prompts you to think. Blessings. Hope to hear from you soon. Love. This was Coco with episode 14 of Grace Touch. Goodbye.